Welcome to episode 66 of the Green Healthy Places podcast, in which we discuss the themes of well-being and sustainability in real estate and hospitality. Today, I'm your host, Matt Morley, and today we're in Bolzano, Italy, talking to Carlo Battisti, European Executive Director of the International Living Future Institute and President of Living Future Europe. Carlo qualified as a civil engineer from Milan's prestigious Polytechnico University and now specializes in sustainable innovation and project management. He's certified with Lean for LEAD for green buildings and Well for healthy buildings amongst a host of other professional accreditations. We discuss the connection between biophilic design, beauty and well-being from the perspective of the ILFI, the International Living Future Institute. We also look at the concept of restorative real estate developments and even at how Alto Adige, the region that he is in, has come to carve out a role for itself as a sustainable innovation hub within Italy. This is a dense but extremely dynamic conversation. I really felt I was in the presence of someone who has completely mastered his art and is now committed to giving back to society, sharing that knowledge through a range of different mediums. He was very generous with his time. Here he is, Carlo Battisti. Carlo, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I'm I'm looking forward to our conversation. It's going to cover a lot, uh, but I know you'll You'll have the expertise to make it succinct and also to help make it manageable for people uh, to understand because there's a lot for us to cover. So why don't we begin? Yeah, surely. Um, so uh, first, first of all, I, I'm, I'm a building engineer as a background. I've been working for like 20 years in construction firms. So now it's already like 15 years. I'm dealing with, with sustainability and innovation in the building industry and started dealing with sustainability standards. So let's say uh, around like 10 years ago or even more, I discovered the Living Building Challenge, which is really the the most ambitious sustainability standards for the built environment and the incredible work that ILFI was doing. Uh, and I remember I, I went to a portal for the annual flagship conference, uh, Living Future in 2014. And I remember I was the only European in the room. <laughs> so what are you doing here? Uh, and by, I, and I got back uh, home with the, like the brain full of uh, ideas and the, the work that they're doing is always amazing. So, um, it, it's really disruptive because, uh, you know, uh, there are many sustainability standards and many conversation about how to make the building industry greener. Uh, but they really set the bar uh, much higher, and knowing that uh, the progress that we have been uh, really, uh, let's say, uh, achieving so far in terms of addressing sustainability in the building industry is barely visible. So uh, we we need to do much more, and uh, the radical concept behind the living building challenge is really to move from a less bad to a more good scenario so having really a built environment that could be uh, restorative first and then regenerative uh, really uh, improving the conditions of the built environment and making possible the ecosystem uh, to thrive and the person and the uh, and the beings and the uh, and all the the species they say thrive in a, in a really 
uh, regenerative way uh, within the built environment, given that we know how impacting is the built environment generally on 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 all of the sectors and the environment uh, more in general. So we need to do much more. And again, this living building channel framework is really a very holistic approach. Uh, it's based on the so the, the metaphor of a building as a flower. So there is this concept of uh, seven peters. And ILFI is basically from uh, developing these standards, covering buildings, uh, building products, companies, communities, uh, and so forth and so on. And we as Living Future Europe, we basically started opening their office, European office in 2018. And now uh, we are an independent legal entity, again, with the name of Living Future Europe from the end of 2019. And we are basically promoting their programs across Europe with different activities. You mentioned your personal or rather your own professional background. A lot of people ask me, you know, Matt, how can how can we get into this industry? What's the best way in? You know, how do we study for biophilic design? Or how do we study to, to get into the space that you're in? And it's not always an obvious response. I think I see a lot of architects, obviously engineers, project managers. From your position, for someone interested in this space around green buildings, healthy buildings, buildings that actually give back rather than take away from nature, what are the typical routes in and where do you see education feeding into to this space in the future? Yeah, that, that, that's a good point. I have to say that in my personal experience, the process was very long. <laughs> so, but I don't know, it happened this way. That's life. So I really uh, arrived to this point uh, after uh, many years in the construction industry, but you, you can imagine like in the 90s uh, or at the end of the last millennium, this, the situation was completely different. So the mantra was, uh, if you remember, like to build, build, build and sell. And uh, there was no particular attention on, on sustainability, for instance. Now, it's true that we are dealing with sustainability already for like two or three decades, considering all of the standards, the frameworks that have been developed in, in the in the in the, in the same same uh, moment in time um, so for persons starting now it's really a bit different so this uh, sustainability issue uh, this uh, attention to sustainability this need is so important and uh, and it, it's it's clearly uh, the main focus that uh, not only the building industry and architecture engineer but all of the economic sectors should really address in a more effective way it's important to have some technical robust uh, background because in the end is how you do things uh, that it's also uh, important and you know you, you know you need to know the process you need to know what you're basically doing as a designer as a manufacturer as a general contractor because this is really what in the end impacts on the, on the end result of uh, your work also in terms of sustainability but it's important now that everything that we are working with is really um, embedded in, in, a, in a broader sustainability uh, concept. So sustainability, in other terms, should be really in the DNA of what we do as designers, uh, contractors, or building product manufacturers, developers, and so forth and so on. So I see there are really huge challenges, like for instance, this living building challenge, also in the title, it's a challenge. So it's not, it's not easy, it's difficult to achieve uh, a full regenerative built environment. But on the other hand, we see, and I personally see, a huge amount of opportunities for, for young professionals. And moreover, they have a really now a different background. So uh, consider, for instance, the Greater Thunberg movement. So uh, they have a really different approach. They know that we can do the things 
uh, much better and that we have to do in this way them in, in this way uh, and that's why they have a more an open-minded and uh, and they say uh, and uh, they can really address these topics uh, in a more effective way probably better than uh, some senior you know professionals i think it makes sense you know uh, perhaps like you uh, you know for me a decade working for a real estate developer and then i moved across and transitioned into sustainability and biophilic design from there and maybe that means i'm more limited because i see new generations coming up and they just start on the sustainability path at, at 2021 and you know they have really deep knowledge and i think there's there's benefits to both at the moment we're coexisting but the new generation coming up uh, are arguably starting even earlier than, than we were able to you mentioned the the living building challenge you also have the living product challenge i think it's important to make that connection between the building itself and the elements that go in and contribute to creating a more regenerative building because without it's it's like a, an ecosystem right without the products to help build the building uh one can't live without the other right so the product challenge it's like a sustainability standard for building components in a sense right yeah no, it's true in fact ilfi with the, its frameworks is really covered the entire supply chain because they they easily and faster uh, understood and we also understood that you need really to address the entire supply chain meaning from the developers up to the end users because they are all part of the same uh, uh, big uh, bigger say goal to achieve sustainability uh, in in the built environment and uh, i used to say it's something or say trivial but the a building is as a matter of fact an assembly of building products so where is the real sustainability so sometimes it's really on the shoulders of building products manufacturers because the way they are producing they are designing their their own products is really key in terms of uh, achieving some sustainability results uh, and under this perspective the living product channel is a fantastic framework it's really uh, circular economy standard is a certification so it's, it, it is third party uh, verified it's basically it's it's uh, the application let's say of the living building challenge on our company is really producing a specific product in its uh, supply chain in its factory in its uh, production line uh, following regenerative principles so how they are producing and consuming energy from renewable sources, how they're managing the water uh, cycle, how they're managing the waste uh, products. Uh, is the product inspired by biophilia or from by biomimicry in some cases? So how they're addressing really this concept of beauty in the way they are producing things? What are the relationship between the company and the, their stakeholders, the community, uh, their employees? So it, it's a really a very uh, broad and full uh, regenerative uh, approach uh, with a really a circular entity in the end and uh, and I we see that uh, there are some amazing companies that uh, register and certify their products with the living product challenge uh, you must scale to name one uh, they they for instance they started with the clay label you know this ingredient label for bed and products and then they moved to the living product challenge they register all of the catalog and now they're producing uh, what are considered the more sustainable office furniture, uh, you know, desks, uh, chairs, um, and so forth and so on. They have been able like, to avoid some uh, harmful substances that were typical in, in the furniture industry, like, for instance, chromium-6, like PVC, uh, formaldehyde, and other harmful uh, ingredients. 
So we, which implies that you have like to put in place also some innovative uh, ideas to change your process, to transform your production lines, which is not easy, uh, moreover, for a, some big industry. But these uh, changes that uh, they are making are really beacons uh, of light uh, uh, and um, in the industry, they can also act as demonstrators that these uh, changes are really possible. Uh, and once they they do it, the, the, the other will come, the other will follow, and, and it's how basically the, the biggest, bigger change is happening in the industry. To place some context on that, you know, a lot of the, the products with a, some kind of an eco label are often really just saying, well, look, it's non-toxic. It is not doing harm to the indoor air environment. For example, if you place our products in your space or if you use our paint or use our adhesive. What you're describing is something much more advanced and comprehensive and holistic in that you're looking at a, a far wider range of factors. So for me, anything that's coming out with, with a, a Declare or even the Living Product Challenge certification, you know, it's, it's the gold standard. It really is uh, light years ahead of, of everything else. I imagine that that means it is also much harder for those companies to uh, satisfy those those standards because you're just asking a lot more from them, but they are also surely leading the way, right? They're showing what is possible and um, perhaps being like the early adopters for the others to then follow. Whereas just getting something to say, well, look, it's it's low VOC uh, is not going to be enough. I think in the future it might be a basic starting point, but for, to go beyond that, uh, you need something like. Like what you just described. Yeah, yeah. Well, Matt, there is the you know that there is a big issue with the healthy products and the, the built environment and the building industry. So let me be very frank on this. So there is uh, always this uh, quote um, by Danny says the uh, the former president of the Bullet Foundation, uh, which is basically uh, the the uh, developer that built the Bullet Center where. ILFI, our partner in the US, are based in Seattle. He used to say uh, that uh, being compliant with the norms is only one step above them being illegal. And that's true. Uh, sometimes, uh, if you remember, we took like uh, 20 years to ban some harmful substances that we discovered were completely critical. And, um, and chemistry is running really faster than our capacity to understand what's happening. And, uh, you know, if this product, the products that we are using in our indoor spaces are uh, healthy, uh, are safe uh, uh, or not. So that's why it's true that it could be challenging for these companies to demonstrate uh, how good they are in, in doing some things, but it's really covering this, really addressing a sort of social issue. This is, this are dramatically important. So our health uh, and uh, and the health of future generations. So uh, we discovered that we need to start asking more from building product manufacturers to put more questions to 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 uh, request the same uh, level of transparency. For instance, we used to have uh, in the food industry or in the textile industry. So we learn we started learning, let's say, to uh, read into these labels to to. Put questions. So, what's the product? Where the product is coming from? How the product is made? What are the ingredients? If they are harmful or not? So, this is crucially important. So that's why it's true that this be challenged, but it's basically covering uh, our right to be health healthy. To say in the end, and this is absolutely. Uh, uh, a level, let's say, of the bar that we cannot like, like really, um, let's say, reduce because this is really 
very much connected with the health of our uh, persons, our people. To say. It's almost like um, <clears throat> taking your, your building to the doctors, right? And, and, and the, the doctor is looking for the, the unhealthy points and recommending how to improve the health of the building. For many people, it's easier not to worry about that. You know, you think about your own health, maybe think about the quality or this, the, um, you know, how your food ingredients have been sourced. But for many people to think about the building or the home you live in, it's, it's just not something. Yeah, they say, no, you're right. They say, okay, the, the, the products should be complied with the norms. Okay, that's fine. But probably it's not enough. Uh, for instance, we are for sure following this uh, discussion about the PFAS. Uh, now, the, so the, the, there was the, this uh, group of uh, 17 journals and newspapers, magazines from all over Europe that's completed this uh, tremendous survey and uh, investigation, let's say, on where are where is PFAS in Europe, uh, and it's everywhere. And, uh, and uh, this is something that is used in the building industry, but not only the building industry, in many products. And the uh, International Future Institute every year is updating this so-called red list. And last year, they included 11,000 new PFAS numbers in this list. So 11,000, not 11, 11,000. So just to say that, how is it possible for uh, designers, but also for end users to follow all of these pro this processes or all of these developments in the chemical industry? Uh, so that's why this demand of uh, healthy products, uh, for instance, the, the clear label is really addressing the, this, this request, is so important. Because the, the, the question is really, what's in the product and is this ingredient harmful or not? You have to tell me, you meaning your building product manufacturers, uh, this is compliant with the, the so-called precautionary principle that, for instance, in Europe is pretty common, but the United States, it's not so... Uh, really accepted in uh, in the in the economic uh, in the economical sector. For, for instance, it's still valid that, that uh, architects uh, uh, and designers in the US should let's say guarantee that the product they use in in the buildings uh, are safe, not the manufacturers. So <laughs> I understand it's completely uh, nonsense. Is the manufacturer that should be really the, the first to say, okay, my product is totally. Uh, healthy and safe. That's why I can I can put it on the market. It's not the other way around. That the end user should demonstrate that the product is safe. Is safe. You mentioned the relationship there between the architects specifying individual products and imagine you know on a complete refurb or a new construction. There's a lot of there's a huge amount of information that they need to um, gather to process and and then obviously you know they've, they've got aesthetic concerns form and function they've got budget they've got to develop a developer client behind them pushing them in one direction maybe being pulled in multiple directions at the same time it's complex how does the role of of the the type of green building certifications that you offer via living future europe how can that play a role in in a way simplifying or providing guidance in that process so that there's a there's a roadmap for them to follow. Is that is that one of the advantages in doing it, or is it more a case of having an extra resource on board who can help to um, bring new expertise to the consultancy team on development project? Yeah, I would say uh, the, the 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 work that LFI did, for instance, with the clay label, was exactly to uh, reconnect people and uh, designers with the building industry, because in the end. They have been really disconnecting the last decades, so we we uh, we believe that the products are safe. We believe we believe that the manufacturers are doing their own uh, work properly. 
sometimes we need to put more questions to to look into and to eat um and like just for instance really this declare label is very simple so it's sort of an ingredients label uh for for building products where you can find all of the information on 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 the building products for instance also uh, the expectancy let's say of life uh what what would be the, let's say the final uh, use of the product, if the product could be recyclable, compostable, reusable. Um, also, the CO2 emissions number connected to the product production uh, so that you can also use this data for the life cycle assessment of your building and also of your product itself. So where the product is manufactured. So basically, it's a, it's a way to, pr to provide in a simpler way uh, complex information to end user to the market. Uh, this information are available on some databases, and I would say, as you said, so the role that uh, these green building standards uh, uh, has really played in the last decades is really to make to highlight the importance of this information. Sometimes it could be a bit confusing. I agree with you. There is a really a plethora of uh, labels and standards and certifications. Sometimes they're self-declared. Sometimes they're third ver third party verified. So it's really. Uh, difficult for uh, for uh, end user uh, for designers. We are really trying to make the things simpler. Uh, really, starting from from the basic question: Is this product safe or not? Are there in some uh, harmful or toxic in ingredients or substances or not? Then clearly, you as a designer, architect, and engineer, you have you have to couple this information with other performance data because in the end, the product should be also performing uh, for. Uh, the, the purpose you, you, you select it, if it is like a flooring or a structural element or on, on so forth and so forth and so on. But yeah, so we have to combine uh, all of these things together, search the right information. There are already some databases available uh, publicly for, uh, for designers. It's a bit complex. Uh, you have to take really an holistic approach. Uh, but it, I would say this is also very interesting and uh, and absolutely motivating for uh, for the architects and engineers because in the end they are really responsible of the work they are doing and uh, the buildings they are creating and the, the life of people who will uh, live in, in in those buildings so uh, and they will live there like for decades so in the end it's a sort of responsibility or responsible role that uh, the planners, the designers are, are taking. Uh, it's, you know, it's a bit different uh, com comparing to what happened, uh, let's say, decades ago. We were talking only about like some architectural elements, uh, the shape uh, of the layout of a building. We were like discussing many times of the color of the ceramic tiles, but probably there are more important things to take a look into. And how do you see then biophilic design fitting into that? I've often thought of it as being this interesting hybrid of healthy buildings or healthy wellness interiors and design and sustainability. But I was interested as your, with your role both on the Biophilic Society in Europe, but then also with the connection to the ILFI's Biophilic Design Initiative that always seems to get amazing amounts of press it's popping up on my my Google searches every day. It seems of their various prizes and awards. So you know they're really too many pushing. things. Seriously, <laughs> okay. it's fantastic. It's great. You know they're really pushing it. So what's your perspective on how does biophilic design fit into this? Is it both healthy and sustainable, or is it some higher level? Or how do you see that structure? 
Now you, you touch you touch a very good point, Matt, because in uh, by chance let's say, or let's say not by chance, but the previous uh, version of the standard of living building challenge, the three point one version, the biophilia concept was embedded in the health and happiness petal. Now with the new version, the fourth version, which has been launched in twenty nineteen, it has been moved to the beauty petal. So recognize that biophilia is not only about how healthy the indoor spaces are, but it's also something more. It's really uh, addressing um, the beauty concept uh, 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 of a building. And this is very much embedded in the, in the standard, the living building challenge, the things we are doing. We really discovered that uh, um, we, need to, uh, we need to address this, uh, this concept in a more effective way. This is something, for instance, that uh, popped up, let's say, dramatically during the pandemic. So during the pandemic's time, we were uh, blocked in our lockdown, in our cities, in our buildings, and we discovered how important it was living in some beautiful and biophilic spaces of races, looking uh, out of your window to uh, like a park or a garden or some biophilic place, places instead of a concrete building. For instance, how different was our perception of the world around us where we were basically obliged to stay uh, in lockdown for more than 90% of our daily time, which is something that basically we are always doing. Like for instance, this, like this moment, we are both in some enclosed spaces. So how these spaces are, are designed and, and made, this is really important. So we started... Um, addressing this concept in a more effective way. We started with this biophilia camp last year in the woods of South Tyrol, the end of September. So we basically convened uh, 15 professionals from all over Europe. Uh, there was also a couple of persons from the Middle East, the one person from the United States. So to uh, work and train and live together for four uh, days uh, in really very much connecting with nature, with some indoor and outdoor activities. From this biophilia camp, this idea of biophilic society uh, came out. So the biophilic society is not only so like, uh, like the society of biophilic lovers, something like the societies in London in the 19th centuries. Uh, you remember there were societies for everything. So it's, was, it's not only the society of, of biophilic people, biophilic lovers, but it's also the concept that so the society could be more biophilic and our message is really that reconnecting with nature could be really an effective way to save let's say our uh, life let's say uh, in the next uh, decades and, and centuries so this is absolutely important that that's why we started with uh, with some activities it's biophilic societies uh, basically a network uh, as we used to call it, a living system of uh, passionate people around Europe and also outside Europe. We are meeting on a monthly basis, uh, presenting some case studies, some experiences, and now we are organizing, we are working to organize this Biophilia Summit, which will be online on the 7th of June. Um, it is online because it is the easier way for, uh, for us, uh, say, to connect uh, the more people possible um, uh, even if clearly meeting in person could be uh, a better idea, but for the first time, the idea is really to have a larger participation and also to uh, address biophilia not only on the architectural sector, so not not only biophilia design, but also putting biophilia in connection with uh, other sectors, like for instance, like with fashion, with agriculture, uh, with psychology. Uh, and obviously also with uh, with architecture, with photography. So there will be many examples of how we can uh, 
uh, read uh, biophilia through different lenses and we are absolutely encouraging your followers to connect on the 7th of June for a full day uh, with, with a lot of fantastic speakers. So we'll include the links to that in the show notes. And then the relationship between the potential of biophilia to create spaces that uh, not only provide beauty, but also mental and physical well-being for the occupants in the space, and then also uh, whilst not doing any harm and ideally giving something back to uh, the environment around it. To transition from that type of concept into restorative sustainability, you used the words earlier, restore and then regenerate. Perhaps it's worth just clarifying that. And if you, if there's a, a distinction between them in your mind, if they are two phases, if one leads to the other, and, and perhaps, yeah, just to understand how we use those terms precisely around restorative sustainability and also regenerative. Yeah, sure. No, that, that, that's an important question. So if, it's important to clarify. So uh, again, starting again from biophilia. So biophilia is really embedded in this uh, discussion and conversation about sustainability because reconnecting with nature is something that's important. So one of the main problem and one of the reasons why we uh, came to, to this situation in terms with this ecological and global crisis is really the fact that we, we really disconnected from nature. We really didn't understand the uh, natural processes and flows and so forth and so on. And also how our uh, life and our activities are really impacting on, on the environment. And the environment is basically around us. And we are part of the environment. We are part of nature. We are the same elements together with other uh, living species. So we are all, let's say, in, in the same uh, situation. The the point of sustainability is very important because, you know, um, sometimes we are, so I would say often, we are very confused about this term of sustainability because everyone is really providing, let's say, different uh, explanation, different description of sustainability. Um, and this is something where we should be more really very clear so for us sustainability is be, is be, is really giving back to the environment what we have been taking off so it's really a sort of uh, zero point in the diagram you can imagine a diagram uh, comparing let's say our actions and the impact on uh, on, on on the environment uh, so it's really the net zero point in this diagram and we haven't reached out this point still so we are still for instance again in, within the built environment doing less bad so we are designing and building buildings that are less consuming less impacting doing less harm so and sometimes it's also frustrating because it's always a negative concept uh, and again Talking about green buildings, there are buildings that do, they are basically doing less harm. They are not even sustainable. They are not still, say, sustainable. Uh, for instance, this definition of sustainability is something that also uh, Yvonne Schwinard from Patagonia is uh, basically provides the same the same concept. He, he says we shouldn't talk, uh, we should we shouldn't talk about sustainability until we really give back to the environment what we we took off. So only from that point on, we can really talk about sustainability. Moving forward on this sort of ideal S-curve is becoming restorative. So basically, and again, talking about the built environment or the action we can do in the built environment is really recovering the damage that we did in the past years uh, because we did a lot of damage. And so we, but we can recover this previous situation. And mo moving forward toward a more regenerative concept, it means that we should 
really create the conditions for the built environment, the building system, and the, let's say, the ecosystem around us to thrive in a continuous way, in a permanent way, um, really as living organisms say are we able to conceive like for instance a building performing this way yes it's possible it's also technologically and financially viable so it's like for instance a building that is completely done with uh, safe materials uh, that is producing more energy that it consumes from renewable sources and so forth and so on that is uh, let's say um, providing uh, benefits and uh, and uh, positive uh, effect on people and living species and beings and so forth and so on. So it's really a sort of dynamic uh, concept of sustainability. Uh, and uh, if we are always, let's say, comparing uh, the effect uh, of our actions in the built environment, what's happening in terms of ecological global crisis, so where we know that we already exceed, exceeded uh, some of the planetary boundaries, we, we understand immediately that we have the urgency to do much more, to do much better now. So without like waiting for for uh, for years uh, without let's say planning some uh, uh, magical uh, roadmaps so we need to act really quickly immediately and the good news is that we have all of the expertise all of the technologies and techniques available all the materials the strategies it's really about to be um, be being more convinced and be more responsible of uh, what we are doing and, and walk the talk, basically, and put these this concrete, concrete uh, uh, strategies into action. And in your advisory services then, how are you working with the industry? Is that typically you collaborating with developers? Are you spreading the message around sustainable buildings and this particular interpretation that you have of of how they can do more good at a sort of purely information level, or are you working at a commercial scale with developers on, for example, tenders or feasibility studies as well? Well, let's say that uh, we are, let's say, in a situation in where we really try to uh, spread the word on all the levels possible and the entire supply chain uh, with different TVs. For instance, we are doing a lot of trainings. Uh, education is really key. Uh, because it's really also about creating a different culture, as you can imagine. So, but from from uh, the end of last year, we started also providing some advisory services for some specific projects. So we understood that it's important to follow some exemplary projects and bring them um, forward, let's say, to the end, so that they can become real and they can act, react uh, really as demonstrators of the feasibility of these concepts. Um, instead of providing like uh, generic uh, answers to all of the inquiries we were receiving from, from Europe as we did uh, up to la last year. Now we are really following some specific projects. For instance, we, we are working uh, on, uh, the new, on a new uh, first uh, uh, full living building challenge registered project in Scotland. Uh, it's a fantastic uh, pavilion uh, um, of a huge uh, high school Sorry, sorry, not high school. It's really a school complex with, with all of the students from the primary to the high school uh, in Scotland. And basically, they are working to create this pavilion where they will teach sustainability to their students and also to the community. So a unique place to deal with the, with this uh, concept. And for instance, we are working together with the, with the, the design team on this project. We're also following, for instance, a completely different uh, situation and standard uh, small residential building all made in timber in uh, Madrid 
which is pursuing both the zero energy and the zero carbon certification, totally industrialized. So as you can see, there are many ways to achieve great results. Uh, and we are trying, let's say, to work together. We are really working alongside the consultants in this specific situation in order to uh, to, to make this project become real. So it's, it's, it's basically a role of facilitators um, because once this project these buildings are finished, then you can really, you know, you can explain the case study, you can explain how you did it. And it's probably the best example that you can provide to your stakeholders because in the end, people understand that, okay, this is feasible. This is something I, I could do and I would like to do for my home, my new school, my new public building or my new office building. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a matter of examples sometimes. Very interesting. Let, let me ask, if I may, just one final question, because, you know, Bolzano and the region you're in keeps coming up on my radar or has been doing that for, yeah, well over five or six years, I think. Something is happening in that part of the world. So I'm really <laughs> interested to know, like, how how much it's feeding you and is it is it providing inspiration? And, and what is what is going on in that region? Because it just seems to be particularly within the context of Italy, which, let's be honest, you know, is often not necessarily the first uh, country that comes up. We might think of the Scandinavian countries that are perhaps leading the way on sustainability, but I think there's something happening in that, that corner of, of the country where you are. So <laughs> no, that's about but- it. No, I say the, the local autonomous government is really pr- providing a lot of great marketing. Let's say <laughs> this is could be one point. No, it's it's true. There are some specific. It's a it's a very specific situation in Italy. Also, to do, due to the fact that it's a local autonomous government, so it's a, it's an autonomous province. So basically, you know, all of the public services are managed uh, locally, uh, and sometimes people really understand how their money has been coming from taxes has been spent uh you know schools uh, hospitals are all managed by the local government there are other services like for instance uh, um, police post uh, and justice that clearly are managed uh, at the national level um, so this could be one of the explanation another explanation is the fact that it's really a sort of uh, uh, ring uh, uh, in the chain between the Mediterranean and the Nordic uh, environment in, in the say talking uh, uh, from a ge- geographical perspective here people are mostly speaking German language so they are very much connected with the German speaking uh, area um, and for instance you know that uh, Germany and Austria and these countries have been always uh, uh, very uh, keen on energy efficiency things for instance here um, there is a standard uh, that start that was been basically uh, created like already more than 20 years ago an energy efficiency standard which is mandatory for the local local buildings so it, it's, it started with energy efficiency and then from energy efficiency basically this conversation of sustainability uh, got a, a broader uh, perspective um, I say it's it's a small region with five hundred thousand inhabitants, uh, a lot of nature, a lot of mountains, you know. So in in a few minutes we are in the mountains. Um, it could be a sensitive environment, so because you know there could be like some trade-offs, like for instance how to attract more tourists, which is something that's interesting for the economy, but without impacting on the environment. So this is a huge trade-off, and this is something that is now 
every day in the news because there is really a tension between these two aspects. Um, so uh, it's, a, it's an important conversation that probably we take an, another another an hour to, to, to be addressed. But again, probably this close proximity with nature is something that uh, inspires people uh, more. I uh, uh, I moved here like uh, years ago, so I'm not from, from this region as many others did. Uh, and I, I wouldn't return back, let's say, to be frank. I, I like to be here. And it's considered also, again, the most, uh, probably the most sustainable uh, region in terms of sustainability approach uh, in Italy, let's say. Uh, so, and that's why it's good to be here. There is this NOI Tech Park, this uh, NOI is an acronym for Nature of Innovation, but it's also, it's also a different uh, understanding and terms uh, explanation in German and in Italian because it's HAS in Italian. And it's also new in German. So with the same acronym, the same term, uh, we're basically addressing the three languages. It's, uh, it's uh, absolutely a great place. Uh, it's a technological park. It's basically uh, it's, uh, the renovation of an existing aluminum production plant that was used between the two world wars. Uh, it's a 12 hectares area uh, acquired by the local government and now uh, under a, a huge transformation really to create uh, uh, this uh, technological park where there are startups, tech companies, and so forth and so on. We settled here in 2018, and uh, it's absolutely a great opportunity to be here to connect with other research centers, uh, uh, companies, uh, startups, uh, you know, uh, and it, it's, it's all about innovation. It's, um, it's, it's a great initiative. So the idea was really to put all these different actors in the same place. And for the sole fact that you are meeting really at the bar and uh, drinking a coffee and you start talking about you know, your ID and then you um, discover that could be a company interested in developing your ID or a research center uh, starting your ID and um, moving forward to create something more concrete. So it's basically how this innovation process starts. And, uh, and uh, that's why it makes sense to have this big, huge facilitator tool uh, to help uh, the innovation thrive here in the, in the region. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. That was really a fascinating conversation. For anyone, anyone interested in connecting with you or learning more about your initiatives or following along, apart from the website, obviously, we'll include the links to that. But which social media channels are you using for communications? Well, so we are pretty active on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So follow Living Future Europe. Uh, so we are, let's say, generally updating daily. Probably too much, too much, but I say it's we are we are doing many things because we understood that there are many uh, topics to cover. You know, uh, the, the building industry, the built environment is uh, it's a, it's a bit complex. Let's say touching many angles. So that's why we are really working on some uh, topics that we uh, find very important and key for our development. So please follow us and uh, let us know if you need uh, any information. I'm happy to provide them. Wonderful. Thanks again. Thanks so much. much.